Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I am Drew, what's shaking in-betweeners. Hey, all of you out there, you in-betweeners, gutter trash, bottom feeders. <laughs> uh, Wait, uh, why are they bottom feeders scum now? Scum of the earth. Why are they scum of the earth? <laughs> What? I'm just trying out different nicknames for the fans that we have <laughs> for our listeners. The only people uh, that listen to us are the dregs of society. <laughs> you walking abortions. <laughs> I say this, I say all these things with nothing but love in my heart. <laughs> my love of my contempt for you. <laughs> You know, just for all all of our listeners, before we started recording, I was just talking with Albert about how every single time I've ever heard him give a compliment about anything to anyone, it's always been a backhanded compliment. I've never heard him give a sincere, completely positive compliment to anybody or anything. So the fact that he calls you scum of the earth and bottom feeders, walking abortions and all those things but he does it with love for his contempt of you. That's pretty dang high praise, man, coming from Albert. I've never heard him express any form of affection towards any living creature ever. I was spawned. I wasn't birthed. I was spawned into the world a fully-fledged old man who's just here to denigrate you and make sure that you are constantly vying for my validation. <laughs> Which you will never give to anybody, regardless of how hard they try. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely not. These aren't treats. This isn't Halloween. This ain't Christmas. I ain't just giving these away. And just so you know, nothing you can do can earn it either. <laughs> <laughs> so, this in this week's episode, we are continuing our read-through of Invincible. Um, can you help me, Drew? What year in Invincible are we at? We are in year eight. Today we are covering, in the trade paperbacks, we're covering volumes 16 and 17. In terms of the issues, this is issues 85 through 90, 96, uh, I believe. And just to go through uh, the credits, it's Robert Kirkman is the writer. Ryan Otley and Corey Walker are pencilers. Cliff Rathburn inked a bunch of the issues. And there are a couple of colorists on these as well. FCO Placencia colored issues 85 and 86. And John Rauch colored the rest of it. Russ Wooten was the letterer. I think one of the things that I would want to point out that's a little different with this volume is, is that uh, Corey Walker draws a substantial amount of these issues, actually. You know, he's, he was the co-creator and original artist on the series, but he stepped away for Ryan Otley to become the regular penciler. But Corey Walker had continued, even throughout the course of the series, he had continued to assist with a lot of the uh, character designs and uh, stepped in here and there for for uh, fill in art when when Otley needed a break. But in this group of issues, uh, Corey Walker, he does a couple of issues all by himself. And then the last arc of the of, of this chunk, Walker and Otley both 
do work in the same issues because there's like uh, two different periods uh, or scenes, I guess, and they each illustrate uh, different the different uh, sections of the book, which which makes sense. So they're not really it's not it's not really disjointed for something that has multiple artists, which which works out. Nice, nice. Uh, we're coming up, man. It's in a few issues. It'll be on issue 100 for them. Yeah, it's, that's yeah. that's a milestone, man. I mean, hey, we're we're coming up on 100 episodes of our podcast, Albert. Exactly. So we feel like uh, we should probably do something something special, something grand to ring it in. We'll we'll have to think about that, you know. To what what can we do for our beloved gutter trash? <laughs> <laughs> uh, to you, our listeners, <laughs> you could give the first one hundred gutter trash to reach out to you at, on social media. You could give the first one hundred people to DM you one hundred free comics. I could also give a cold, inaffectionate, disapproving hug. You could. I don't know <laughs> if anyone would want that. <laughs> that would be our equivalent of a no prize. <laughs> Today, you were adequate. Barely. <laughs> uh. So what do you think, man? Should we just go into full spoil mode? Let us. Let us spoil this stuff. Let us spoil this like the meat that of which we partake. You eat spoiled meat, Albert? I have to constantly eat rotten meat in order <laughs> to remind myself that the world is just a cesspool of disappointment. You're, you are committed to your hate. <laughs> I, I appreciate that, man. Man, I, I gotta learn from you, man. Uh, I just, yeah, exactly. I, I like if it was good enough for our uh, backwards cave dwelling ancestors, it's good enough for me. I don't know, man. I'm not sure if our ancestors subsisted on rotten meat. That feels sure like something did. that would end up killing them. Sure, they did. Didn't you ever watch any of those history videos where, like? spices were a big part of life because they had no means of refrigerating meats so they were just constantly finding way to spice up rotten meat as a means of making it just barely palatable i thought the spices were intended to help preserve the meats longer so they wouldn't be rotten that too Sure. <laughs> sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> All those episodes of Magic School Bus didn't uh, really leave an impact on you, did they? <laughs> I don't remember that particular episode of Magic School Bus. <laughs> uh. So what are the big plot points that happened in this year's group of issues, Albert? What stands out to you? Uh, the major one is the the big one that we left off with in the previous year was the fact that 
we have this new status quo now where the remaining Viltrumites that have that are basically on the brink of extinction have now come to Earth and they have infiltrated the planet and uh, they have an uneasy truth truce with Mark uh, in that they have, they basically said we can continue to fight and if you if you choose to fight us to the very end we'll basically wipe out your planet in 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 the course of that battle. Or you can allow us to live here amongst you while we uh, recuperate, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like when when last we saw it, Mark agreed, begrudgingly agreed, but unbeknownst to the the alliance that was on his side, um, well, okay, so he begrudgingly agreed and. Eventually, what the alliance finds out is that uh, the coalition. What they find out is that once they find out that the the remaining Viltrumites are on this planet, they're mm-hmm. left with their own conundrum because uh, they want to see the Viltrumites wiped out because uh, they know the threat that they pose to the rest of the universe, right. and they have the means to wipe them out in the form of a virus. Mm-hmm. So again, the the conundrum that they have before them is they were working with Mark with Invincible and Omni-Man and they had become a fairly tight unit in uh, defeating the the Viltrumites together. But now the circumstances have flipped and where we left off was that they were at odds at with each other. And in this year, one of the big storylines is uh, that Alan who was their friend is now in charge of the coalition and he confronts um, Omni-Man about what his plans are, which are to release the virus and to finish off the rest of the Viltrumites. And Omni-Man essentially tells him that the genetic variation between humans and Viltrumites is so similar that there's a likelihood that this virus which utterly decimated the Viltrumites would be just as catastrophic to the human population, maybe even wiping them out. And a battle ensues that just leaves Omni-Man just messed up and Alan and the coalition coming to earth uh, to, to, to wipe them out with the virus. And when they get to earth, they meet up with um, invincible and there's a showdown. So that that was one of the big story arcs for this year. Yeah, that was the, the big story arc uh, in the first trade, I think. Uh, yeah, exactly. I guess if we are, yeah, if we're breaking it down by trades, that that story I thought was pretty interesting because it it brings in the you know the philosophical debate of whether the welfare of the majority outweighs the welfare of the minority you know the the typical star trek kind of dilemma do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few because from alan's perspective it's all about wiping out even if he has to wipe out an entire planet of humans you know they're innocent people but if that's the only way he can wipe out the viltrumites once and for all he'll do it 
Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, there, and... there was there was a sense that he struggled with the decision. It, it wasn't something that I think in his heart he truly, truly wanted to do. It was more of a the pragmatic aspect of his mind because he was the new leader of the coalition. I think that responsibility made him more open to the idea. But seeing yeah. Alan and a, a recovered and fully healed Oliver come back to Earth with the scourge and decide to to use it. Like Oliver is like pretty much all about using it, you know, like he doesn't have any qualms whatsoever. Yeah. He, like he even states outright that other than his mom, who wasn't on Earth at the time, he really doesn't care about what happens to humanity. Like yeah. He's so oddly uh, disaffected and so cold to, to human life that it, it really means nothing to him if the whole planet were to be exterminated exterminated so that the Viltrumites could be killed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that when often we when whenever we see this uh this philosophical um conundrum played out, it's it, it feels like the stakes are are so much clearer in, in other examples where it's like you know, one person for the sake of a society or a small group, but then when you ex- uh, when you uh, expand on that idea to one species, one species relative to an entire universe, I mean, I don't know about you, but that does make it substantially harder to to Wait, did to you justify. That? That doesn't, <laughs> or that does make it harder. It does make it harder, okay. you know, because because you know, for on the face of it, billions is a lot, but what is billions to billions of trillions, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just uh, just substantially more. It's higher stakes and substantially more um, complexity to the to the issue. You know? Yeah, it's it's not like killing one random human. Yeah, it's a whole planet. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, what do you personally think, man? You think uh, Oliver was right? Um, I think we've had this conversation, and I have the opposite view, which is I'm willing to sacrifice any number of lives as long as it preserves my own. That is true. That is true, man. <laughs> Uh, my personal philosophy is, uh, the need of the me over the need of everyone. <laughs> like that. <laughs> That's pretty funny, man. Thank you. Uh, let us know if you guys like that. We can make that a new t-shirt. <laughs> the needs of the me overwhelm the needs of the many. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh man, that's that's too funny, man. <laughs> Absolutely, there is no man, woman, or child that I would not sacrifice if it means that I do not save myself. <laughs> you love yourself a lot. As far as I'm concerned, I'm the only life worth saving. The only life worth loving. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
Yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting scene because um another another thing to look at is uh Oliver's development at up to this point because we've we've mentioned it in previous episodes where he's exhibited this uh this callous disregard for human life before in the past to the point where the way that Robert Kirkman and uh previous artists I believe it was Ryan Otley who was drawing it at the time. Uh, the way that they drew the scene even infer- implied that somewhere down the line there would be some sort of uh, conflict between uh, Oliver and Invincible and Mark mm-hmm. um, as they come to a head over this idea of the value of human life uh, to the point where they almost make it seem like they almost made it seem like at some point Oliver could potentially become something sinister in in just how much he devalued human human life, you know? Yeah. And I don't know like so at this point in the series, it's all new to me, so I, I haven't read any of it. So I don't I really can't say whether they continue to explore it but as of right now um what happens in this year's story it really feels like it's kind of the at least for now the conclusion to that conflict you know because all oliver shows up and at first he just he doesn't know anything except that his dad omni man is fighting with alan and he like goes in on helping his dad you know yeah that's that's what he cares about but then when Alan stops and explains to him that they're fighting because he's going to release this virus that's going to wipe out the rest of the Viltrumites, Oliver decides, you know, makes that decision. He's in, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that's that that sounds like the practical uh, course of action to take. Yeah. And then he goes to Earth and they. They they meet. um they meet invincible Mark in, in orbit above the planet, and there's a battle, a fight that goes down, and Oliver just decides to go straight for the planet just to release the virus. Um, and over over the course of their battle, uh, Mark gets exposed to the virus, and in that moment, Oliver is just full of remorse, and he sees what that uh level of commitment and zealousness to that cause has cost him you know and yeah i believe he you know when when he does talk to uh invincible after that he he acknowledges that i, I guess he acknowledges that he's wrong you know that mm-hmm. he he does value life and he so like moving forward if I had to guess, that's kind of the end of that uh, arc, which, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, that isn't to say that there isn't more to be discovered or explored. But, uh, yeah, what's interesting to me is, again, it's Robert Kirkman uh, sub- subverting, like, where the story goes, you know, because yeah. I think we all, or I don't know about you, but I certainly thought that where the story would ultimately end up was going to be this uh, this 
final showdown between Invincible and his brother over, you know, yeah, this this long-standing feud over the lives of humanity, you know, just for high drama, and right. it ends up it ends up with Oliver conceding that human life is valuable through yeah. learning it through this uh through his pig-headedness and his stubbornness you know yeah, yeah. which i thought was pretty cool yeah it, it is man uh it, it's one of those examples of a character kind of yeah like you were saying subverting expectations yeah i mean they the the two of them do basically come to blows but i think them coming to blows and Oliver accidentally zap shooting Mark with the virus. That that's kind of a I, I don't know like a wake up call to him, you know? Exactly. Like in yeah, in a that's way a good way to put it, it. Yeah, in a way it it kind of it is kind of reminiscent of the fight between Mark and his father way back early on. You know when when Mark's dad almost kills Mark, Omni Man. Basically comes to that's the point where he has that realization that he he does love Earth he loves humanity more than he ever thought he did yeah and in a way uh, Oliver almost uh, messing up Mark real bad with the with the virus killing it, Mark let's just yeah, call it yeah, what he, it is yeah he almost killed Mark and it it makes him it makes Oliver uh, rethink what he's done you know he has that what have I done kind of moment. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and and that's one of the most dramatic moments that a character can have. Yeah. Once you, and, once you commit yourself to an action and then you see that the consequences are not what you had hoped for or intended, you know? Yeah. And there's that, that sense of, of regret. It it yeah. makes It makes Oliver come off as more human as well exactly because i think if he had ignored that instinct and if he had if he had seen market hit with the virus and just been like that's what you get yeah and just you know flown off and continued his life that would have made him seem incredibly alien yeah and i think i think what a lot of people would have wanted to see especially like fanboys <laughs> what they would have wanted to see was their brothers now that now they hate each other and they have this blood feud you know that's yeah. the kind of drama that we were all expecting but you're right it's very human for him to come to the come to the edge of, of that decision and to see the flaw in his ways and to realize and to come back from it right yeah like that's a much more human like approach to to something like that cuz real people are you know malleable they they adjust to their circumstances you know mm -hmm. uh like i would assume or i would like to believe that most people aren't sociopaths and that you know when confronted with like the real uh consequences of their behaviors and their actions um that they show remorse and that they can learn from it you know yeah it's so, an interesting thing uh, when you see it done well in a, in a story like this 
and yeah. it works and has more impact because we've had those moments in the past where where Oliver explored those ideas with Mark, you know, when Mark was chiding him for killing the Mahler twins and, and they had that whole discussion a couple of, I guess, a couple years worth of issues ago, you know, like it, it's something that that was kind of uh, put aside for a while, never truly forgotten, but it wasn't, uh, it, this this whole development didn't come out of nowhere is what yeah, I'm saying. They've been priming that pump for a long time, you know? Yeah. That's what makes these long-form kinds of stories pretty satisfying. Totally, totally. Like I don't, I don't know what the impact of it is for someone who's just binging all of these issues, but I feel like because we're we're taking our time through it, in between each of these episodes that we do, you know, letting three or four weeks go by in between a year's worth of issues, it, it kind of makes the events linger in my mind a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I remember stuff a lot more clearly than I would if I had just read 96 issues in, like, two weeks or something, you know? My my retention's a lot better, and because of that, I, I think the character development and the little, the little subplots that have been percolating, when they finally uh, come to a boil, a boiling point... I feel I feel the impact a lot more heavily. Mm, mm. Yeah, so man. You're you're still saying though that that if you were in Oliver's position, you would kill everybody in order to save yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Is there anyone that you would not exterminate in order to preserve your own life? Oh. I would not only sacrifice anyone. I would be willing to sacrifice them multiple times over. (laughs) (laughs) If I had the power of life and death in my hands, I would find ways to revive people back to life only so that I could sacrifice them all over again. (laughs) Uh, Would you rather be the last person alive in the universe or would you rather die so that everyone else can continue living <laughs> uh i guess okay on a serious note if we were going to be if we were to truly say i i i want to say that i'd probably that logically speaking it would make sense to sacrifice myself for everyone but I'm self-aware enough to know that I don't know that I can say right now in the comfort of my living room <laughs> that I would have the uh, the fortitude to go through with something like that, you know? Right, right. Logic aside, so so I mean, there's I, that. Okay, okay. That that's that's the first hint of humanity we've gleaned from you all night. <laughs> <laughs> I have all sorts of human feelings, Drew. I I'm I constantly I'm I get hungry. Yeah. Sometimes uh you get tired. You feel I sleep. tired. Yeah. Those are What's more all, human than that? Yeah, those are those are emotions. You, exactly. You feel tired, you feel hungry, you feel sleepy. 
Uh, I've even seen you angry. You feel angry sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one could argue that I feel angry most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) That is true also. (laughs) Well, to anyone who probably occupies like 90% of my like emotional space. The other yeah. thing that uh, arises as a result of Mark getting hit with the scourge virus is it makes the whole series take a pretty interesting turn. Basically, Mark becomes a, a supporting character in his own book for a little while uh, yeah. while he's covering. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. You get to see Mark. Well, first of all, they, they take Mark over to the Viltrum, Viltrumite base uh, so he can recover. They've, they've got the technology to try and... I guess just heal him or or help him get better or survive yeah. the virus. So there's there's this really uneasy feeling uh, because at the end of last month's issues, we also had Mark team up with Dinosaurus. He not only teamed up with Dinosaurus, which is still an awesome name, but <laughs> he he broke the dude out of prison so he could team up with him. Yeah. So he's got these. You know, he's got a shady ally, and then uh, now these Vultramites have him. So when when Cecil and, and the Guardians of the Globe uh, figure out what's going on, you know, they they obviously can't really do anything just because they're not powerful enough to fight the Vultramites. So it, it creates this really fascinating tension in my mind as I was reading it. I was just wondering, like, how... Like what? What can you do in that situation, man? Like if you yeah. were if you were one of those Earth heroes, like you just feel pretty impotent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the the other weird thing is because all of their goals align momentarily, they they do have pretty much they do end up working together, you know? Yeah. Like as awkward as as it sounds. Um, but, but it's, um, well, okay, I'm going to fast forward a little bit, you know, so in, in the next volume of the book, uh, the next trade, when, when the story moves forward and we see that the Flaxons are invading Earth, uh, there's this one point in which, all of the superheroes are messed up and uh and we see that invincible is not in re- not really in any position to to help humankind he doesn't have his powers he doesn't really ha- he doesn't have his powers exactly uh what ends up happening in the in the midst of the battle is one lone viltrumite flies out and you see him engaging in battle and we find out later that uh when thrag is talking to him he he basically says i gave you orders not to interfere mm-hmm. and this guy goes uh, I, I forget exactly what he said but the the sh- the sum of it was basically that he had sired women uh he had sired children or families with all these women all over he, the planet at least he impregnated them at least he impregnated them but but he what he says and you know it's it's kind of funny 
<laughs> as as a reader reading it, but <laughs> I imagine that they played it like sincerely, right? Uh-huh. But what he says is that he 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 impregnated like twenty five women, but he loved them all, and yeah, because of that, he felt compelled to protect this planet. You know, yeah. like he disobeyed a direct order from his king to defend this planet, which is essentially what Mark was saying. That that's been his ar- entire argument for for the Viltrumites this whole time, which was um, that being embedded amongst the humans would eventually change the Viltrumites so that there'd be no need to have another conflict in the future because uh, humanity would, you know, essentially infect or would humanity would affect their hearts and minds in such a way that they would become better people or at the very least less uh tyrannical yeah yeah you know and and that viltrumite wasn't that the dude what is his name craig is he he had the eye patch isn't he the guy that invaded earth in the other issue and and like or he like this isn't the first time we've seen him is it oh you know the thing was i wanted to say that it wasn't the first time we saw him but i really couldn't put my finger on all these mustachioed dudes look kind of the same. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless they're like, what's his name, Conquest? Yeah. Uh, like where he is just so messed up that he just stands out just by his sheer ugliness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so um, I forgot what, what, what the point of my track was, uh, but... You were talking about how Earth has changed at least one Viltrumite, seemingly. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I was trying to tie it in to the earlier conversation that we were having about, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Oliver? Well, I, I mean, there is there is a narrative thread that's that's tied there, though. It's it's kind of this human exceptionalism that exists, right? Cause yeah. It's funny how at some at one point Oliver talks about how i forget if it's oliver or who it was but at one point they someone mentions that you know humans are just basically constantly always at war with one another what how are we yeah. to believe that humans are going to be the thing that changes the hearts and minds of these viltrumites when they come to earth you yeah, know i think i think that is oliver who says something like that he he basically says that humans don't even treat each other with love so why would i love them yeah yeah but then the thing is, you know, as we see in this year's worth of stories, um, yeah, the the their interactions with humanity has softened their hearts. You know, Oliver at the end of it all decides that there is value in human life. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has to learn it through directly almost killing his brother, but <laughs> you know, he learns it. How else are you gonna learn stuff? Yeah. <laughs> See, and that's how that's how we need to teach everybody humanity. We have to almost kill their brother. Did you know that pain is the best teacher? <laughs> um, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and the same thing applies to the Viltrumites. Where with that, did you say his name was Craig? 
Yeah, but yeah. I, I think it's spelled K-R-E-G-G or something like that. Okay, yeah. I, and I do think that's the seeds of another potential direction for the story to go um, as as we move forward in the series, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. <clears throat> the other thing I, I was going to... Uh, highlight as another consequence of Mark uh, getting taken out of action is that the superhero Bulletproof ends up taking on the identity of Invincible just to fill in while Mark yeah. is out of commission. Yeah. Can so I tell you... you something about that? Oh, tell me, tell me. Um. Okay. So... I, so I, I remember I was in a comic... I... Invincible's been coming out for a while, and I remember I've been in comic book stores where I, I've seen the covers, and I saw that uh, there was this new guy who was Invincible, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, Bulletproof is a young black man, and I had no context whatsoever, but uh, no context in regards to what was happening in Invincible whatsoever, yeah, but, because at the time you had you weren't reading the series. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But well, seeing those covers when I was in the store and knowing what I know about comics, there was a part of me that was like, I hope they didn't. <laughs> I hope this wasn't one of those stories where, through whatever uh, science experiment or whatever, Mark Grayson ended up turning black because that would have been <laughs> a painful. <laughs> Painful thing to read, because there have been, just to clarify, there have been a lot of stories in Marvel Comics, and there have been at least two prominent ones that I can think of where the writers thought it was a good idea to tell a story where the main character turned black. You know, just, I I have no problem with, like, a you know, Sam Wilson as Captain America, uh, but the very idea of Frank Castle physically becoming a, a a black man is just bizarre. It's like <laughs> this is offensive on some it's, level. It's pretty offensive. <laughs> or or the idea that um, Are you thinking one, of Mach Five or Mach Five in Thunderbolts? Uh, he he was uh yeah he was wanted and uh, he was on the run. He was gonna go to jail. And their resolution for that problem for that uh, situation was that they were gonna make him a black man <laughs> so that he they could have a life surgery. <laughs> he just like, changed his ethnicity. Yeah, I was like, how does any of that make sense? How does that work? <laughs> that that was probably Fabian Nassiza's low point in life. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if he had ever. I don't think he's ever done anything as bad as that yeah yeah so when i saw that that was i i had enough faith that robert kirkman probably didn't do that that he had enough common sense not to do something as (laughs) weird as that or offensive as that but there was a part of me that was like i wonder if he did (laughs) i wonder if he did that is funny albert (laughs) you know when you were telling me that story uh when you started telling the story just now I thought what you were going to say is that when you were at the store, you saw 
some other fanboy customer walk in the store and say something racist about it. <laughs> That's what uh, I was bracing myself for. <laughs> uh no no nothing nothing quite quite like that but <laughs> there's uh there's plenty uh there's plenty of uh oddities to go around that's for sure yeah and i think that issue or these these issues came out probably around what like 2011 or 2012 mm-hmm. so it, i think it's it's like kind of maybe right at the cusp or just before Marvel started replacing some of their heroes too. Like, I think this is right before, I think it's right before uh, Sam Wilson becomes Captain America. It's before Jane Foster becomes Thor Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth, I think. So it's interesting to to imagine Kirkman kind of uh, leading the way there Replacing yeah. the the hero of his title with somebody of a different ethnicity. I also think that uh, it, it's kind of one of those superhero tropes that we always mention. Uh, how Invincible takes a lot of typical superhero tropes and puts a new spin on them. Like we we've seen in other superhero comics from Marvel and DC where the hero gets temporarily replaced by somebody else. Yeah. You know, somebody else takes on that guy's identity for whatever reason. Maybe the hero is hurt or he's just out of the country or whatever. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. here we have Kirkman doing the same thing with Invincible, but it's just got his own spin on it because we actually get to see, I think the spin here is that not only does Bulletproof take over Invincible's uh title and costume and job but we actually for the first time uh we actually get to see like his personal life too uh bulletproof's personal life we learn more about the character because previous previously he was just a guy that we would see when the other guardians of the globe were in the picture and we, yeah. you know we'd see him uh during battles and maybe he'd have a few lines here and there so we got a little bit of characterization but now yeah. with these issues we actually get to learn more about his his personal life, like what he does when he's not being a superhero. And we learn about a little bit about what he's like as a person too. Yeah. I mean, it's... If... Okay. If, if you look at Invincible as uh, Robert Kirkman taking everything that he knows about comics and... Uh, and basically boiling it down for this story in the most streamlined, like best way possible. Like if you, if you look at all of the story of invincible and you basically look at the history of comics stories and just kind of pick out all of the various high points in comics and just how he uh, cherry picked those those prime like moments and basically did his versions of those for Invincible. Yeah. Um, like it's 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 almost like this love letter to comics, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that that Robert Kirkman is doing, and that he he's just such a wealth of knowledge of like the history of comics. 
and and the the flow of these stories that he was he was just like I'm gonna take all all of the uh, yeah tropes like you said and I'm gonna find a way to tell the most streamlined version of that story with this one character that I created and yeah that that's what we're seeing right now is the every superhero has that one era in their uh, history where one where uh, where they have to take a leave of absence for whatever reason and they're replaced by someone else and you're mm-hmm. right he, it's Kirkman doing his own version of that which is which is pretty neat to see you know it is man um yeah yeah like what did you think about bulletproof's uh story in in this chunk of issues like about all just in regards to like seeing uh his personal life with his girlfriend and and his parents and and all that like do you have any thoughts on what transpired in these pages? Well, okay. The the one thing I was gonna say was that it's 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 another example of Kirkman doing this. Uh, it's something that we've seen him do several times over the course of Invincible, which is he'll introduce these characters that are seemingly like throwaway characters or just one-offs, mm-hmm. and then he'll build them out like later on to have fully flushed out stories which is a really cool like um not tactic or technique but it's a really cool thing that he does in his comics you know mm-hmm. um uh, like we've seen time and time again just these characters where we just think they're just kind of throwaway characters and then only to find out that he's got some use for them uh to to propel the story uh along somewhere down the down the line yeah so uh the thing about bulletproof is that uh, what we learned about him is actually he's a little shrouded in mystery i mean like i know that he's an artist he's got this girlfriend that he lives with and there's uh he has some sort of tension with his parents but he's also hiding keeping a secret from them so his parents at least my understanding of the situation is his parents essentially think that his brother is bulletproof and acting as wait yeah is that was that the case his brother is bulletproof yeah or they they think his brother's a hero and he's just some loser artist who doesn't do anything exactly exactly and uh and that's essentially where the story is on his end at for the time being is just uh, him trying to maintain his life while he's while he takes over as invincible, you know. Yeah. Um, when he shows up, what we see is that Eve is trying to maintain the business, and as we mentioned before, Invincible no longer he's having problems with his powers, so he can't really maintain the business uh, that he and Eve have at at the time. Yeah. So uh, Bulletproof shows up and he talks with Eve and essentially what he says is if I wear Invincible's costume and if I move fast enough, they won't know that Invincible's not the one doing what he's not the one saving the day. Right. Yeah. They won't know the difference. Exactly. Exactly. So he assumes the role of Invincible. 
in addition to that, he also makes a semi move on Eve, which is a little weird. Kind of sleazy. Kind of sleazy, exactly. But I don't know. I guess he's a flawed hero. Exactly, exactly. There's complexities to him, and um, even his his girlfriend has a comment about how he cheated on her. Yeah, he has a history of yeah. uh, of uh, cheating. So yeah, but it'll be interesting to see to see where he goes. You know, because um, it's it's yeah, it's a pretty different backstory from from Mark. You know, just a pretty different person. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh what he does is invincible and how that experience has cha- changes him uh yeah you know moving forward yeah so, totally yeah i mean do you do you think you could rattle off a couple of examples well i guess we did already of uh you know mainstream marvel or dc comics where um you know the hero gets replaced yeah <clears throat> So yeah. we mentioned Sam Wilson as Cap. Yeah, Jane Foster, Thor. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even going back to the 90s, we had the reign of the Superman. I think that kind of counts. It does. We had, as Rail, as yeah. John Paul Valley as Batman. Exactly. Yeah. Artemis as Wonder Woman. Yeah. We had... Carl uh, Rayner uh, as Green Lantern. Yeah. I mean, I... I think Kyle stands on his own as a character more than just as a replacement for Hal. But he might yeah, lantern. Yeah, I definitely see that. Uh, shoot, there was also uh, I forget his name now. Oh, Connor Hawk as Green Arrow. Oh yeah, remember yeah. Connor? Yeah. Yeah. I had some love for Connor. Yeah, me too, man. I don't I don't know what they're doing with him now. I haven't. It's been a while since I've picked up a, a comic with him in it. I I assume he just doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> They've written him out of existence. How sad is that? He might still be around. Who knows, man? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So this is uh, certainly a thing that happens in comics. Uh. It, it's not unheard of. Uh. So you know, people shouldn't ever look at that and be like, they're changing this book. Hey, remember the... when when James Rhodes was Iron Man? Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's that's another early example. Yeah. So the idea that, uh, you know, these characters are never, ever going to be the same again is a is a pretty big fallacy. (laughs) Yeah, I find it pretty silly when when people get mad that the character or the, the the title of the character has passed or is passed on to a different character, you know? Yeah. And it. It kind of feels like people never really got mad at that before until the past few years when you started seeing women or ethnic minorities take on the roles that were traditionally, yeah, you know, just stereotypical white hero. Yeah. U.S. agent was capped for a little while. And yeah. I don't no hear anybody boo. get mad at that. Yeah. <laughs> and that guy was a sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But he was white, so it was all right, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's just, it's like you said, it's a trope in comics, right? And 
it's it's cool that Kirkman decided to. I I don't know if it counts as a homage to that, but you know, it's it's cool that he did it just to acknowledge that. You know, over the course of comics, this is a thing that happens. You know, yeah. we we've seen it a couple of times, like when Invincible had that period where he was in the black costume. Yep. That was. Yep. I I felt like that was Kirkman's homage to like the dark period that every hero goes through you know totally man totally yeah it absolutely is I, i'm pretty confident that that was his intent you know like he yeah he's clearly somebody who has read a bunch of superhero comics and and has a lot of fun putting his own spin on the typical tropes that we constantly see surface in all of these stories yeah yeah but you know what's one thing that he came up with that was pretty unique? What is that? Dinosaurus. Dinosaurus. That that is that's just a fun name to say, man. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. I liked it how in in this uh bunch of issues, I'm just calling I'm just referring to them as this bunch of issues because I, I don't remember like the specific issue numbers. Yeah. That that it happened, but there was that one issue where Dinosaurus goes to the Viltrumite base to help them see if he can provide treatment to Mark while he's recovering from the virus. And he doesn't, Dinosaurus doesn't trust the Viltrumites either. So he's got, he's making his own contingency plans and, uh, and you know, in case they need to escape the base. And he's ready to, to fight against the Viltrumites to, I guess in his mind, to, to rescue Mark from their clutches, essentially. Yeah, but he's completely physically outclassed by yeah, by yeah. the leader of the Viltrumites by and when Thrag. they fight, yeah, by Thrag when they fight, it just goes haywire for Dinosaurus. It's pretty brutal, man. Like he he got messed up. He got messed up crazy bad. Like not only does he break his arm and his own claws off trying to slash a dude that's too tough for him, he he bites him and then breaks all his teeth. Yeah, but the, and then the Thrag the breaks grace. his jaw open. <laughs> yeah, like the coup de grace is the moment where Thrag basically Wait, has him on the ropes. Or coup de gras. Coup de gras. And uh, what he does is he grabs um he grabs dinosaurs dinosaurs uh jaw, you know, like and he just opens the, the bottom way. Exactly, and he just flips the guy open like a sandwich, like an open-faced sandwich, and it's just like, whoa, that's brutal. Yeah, man. Ryan Otley's art in those scenes was, mm, that was just, yeah. you felt that, man. Even though even though Dinosaurus is just, uh, you know, a lizard creature, there was something pretty uh, savage about it. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. it, it looked like it hurt, man. Yeah, yeah. There, there, was, there was force and malice in every one of those panels yeah what about what about so uh, we've mentioned how this year's worth of stories tended to focus a lot on uh the other characters in the universe and less on mark but there were some revelations uh for things moving forward Mm -hmm. uh so when Mark gets infected with the virus and he's close to death, they discover that he's able to survive. And as a result, 
they have one of those soap opera moments where they go where someone discovers a secret about Mark's lineage, but then before they can tell us, you know, something happens that completely cuts off that sentence so that yeah. we're not, we the readers are not privy to what, what happens, right? Yeah, somebody's head got crushed. Like yeah, a- Thrag, Thrag basically yeah. says, uh, so, so the scene is, they're looking at his uh, medical results and he goes, we've, we've, We've reviewed his vital signs and we've discovered that he's a perfect match. You know, that's all he says. And he goes, have you told anyone this? And uh, <laughs> the guy's like, no, we haven't. And he says, you mustn't tell anyone. But before, you know, he even gives the guy a chance to like live up to that bargain. He just crushes the dude head, dude's head like a little grape. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just juice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, throughout the course of this year's uh, story, we find out a little bit more about it, but I want to... So correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say that the discovery is that Mark is related to, like, their king or something, right? That's what it seemed like it was hinting at. I don't know if it was explicit. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's something that's something new that they're building towards uh, moving yeah. forward. Yeah, yeah. After the Viltrumite War, the Viltrumites haven't been completely forgotten, which is kind of cool to see. You get to see now. We get to see the Viltrumites get. They're they're kind of a subplot now that's simmering. And I'm sure at some point uh, this is all gonna b- blow up again, you know? Yeah. Can I can I put in my two cents about something though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe this is a product of me uh, reading all of these in like relatively quick order. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say that having read the story arc last year where the Viltrumites came to Earth and then reading the story this year to find out that they've already pretty much embedded themselves into society, mm-hmm. even to the point where that one guy, Craig. He's was, got a bunch of pregnant women all over. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So maybe there's something about reading it all so quickly where I was like, did did he have enough time to do all that already to like establish himself with like 25 different relationships already? It felt a little fast, to be honest. You, you figure that at least, I don't know, at least like four or six months have, have passed during this time, right? Like the, the passage, still, of, the passage of time still, is just enough for him to know that his women are pregnant, but he doesn't necessarily, they haven't, they haven't given birth yet. So yeah you know and and him him having his powers he can travel all over the planet he doesn't i'm pretty sure he doesn't have a job or anything so like yeah all he does is just hump go around (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) i I was trying to like think of some diplomatic way of (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, you right though. You right. <laughs> With one word, I disassembled them all. No, but okay, but I I think the thing that got me was, and again, like I I can suspend my disbelief for the sake of the story just because I know what Kirkman or I understand what Kirkman is trying to achieve, but. Let's say it's four months. There's still something about the idea that in four, let's even be generous. Let's say six months time Mm -hmm. that he has been so affected by humans that he can genuinely say to himself that he loves all 25 of these women and was willing to disobey a direct order from Thrag to like throw himself into this war to save the planet, you know? So you you find that kind of hard to believe because six months isn't that long of a time? Yeah, a little to, bit. To, six months isn't enough time to fall in love with somebody? Six months isn't enough time to fall in love with 25 women and to feel like you genuinely love them. Or was it really 25? I thought it was 12. Was it 12? Okay, maybe it was 12. But still, well, even so, 12 is... I, I have to flip through it and, and see if I can find out, find that page again. But there, I think it's hard to... Yeah, I mean, I see your point. Like, it, it is, from one per point of view, it's, it's like six months isn't enough. It's kind of hard to believe that six months was enough to completely change... His heart. Yeah. 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 Exactly, exactly, right? But again, oh, I, like I, yeah, I found I the page. What... I found the page where where he talks with with Thrag and yeah. and Thrag says, "I have reviewed your logs. You have nearly a dozen human women spread all over the globe who are currently impregnated with your offspring." And then he says, "I know, Grand Regent Thrag. I know, and I love them all." So it, it's less than a dozen. It's less than a okay. dozen. Okay. Is that more reasonable know... for you, Albert? Mathematically speaking, yes. Okay, there you go, man. <laughs> Problem solved. Uh, yes. Uh, twenty-five, twelve is less. It's not less even twelve. Than, he has almost a dozen. Almost a dozen. Well, so let's, let's say, say ten or 11. eleven. Okay. Yeah. So eleven is definitely less than twenty-five, and just from math, his ability to uh. His, the amount of time that he has to spend with each person is increased is increased somewhat going from eleven uh, from twenty five to eleven. So, so do you think Craig is the kind of guy who spends like two hours a day with all of his women, or do you think he spends like a couple days at a time with one and then moves on to the next one for a couple days? Uh, yeah, I guess that other, the, the, the latter makes more sense. Okay. Okay. So okay. You, you think he's got like some kind of personal calendar so he can remember who he's seen and whose turn it is and stuff? Uh, I was going to say he might just go around and, you know, wherever he feels like being for a couple of days, he'll go and. If he should up and decide that he wants to go visit one of his other, uh, you know, one of his other baby mamas, 
if that's what he decides, then he's going to go spend a couple of days there, you know? And it's like you said, he, he's got super speed in flight, so, you know, he can be there in almost instantly, Pretty much right? no time, yeah. Yeah, so if he just wants to pop in, then he's going to pop in. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got, uh, I'm pretty sure he's got more, he doesn't need uh, as much rest as people do, so he doesn't, he probably doesn't sleep as much as a human would need sleep. That's true. That's true. So he he probably have more more energy to stay up. Yeah. All day and and he go. He might not fly need sleep planet. at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Okay. You're you're slowly convincing me that there's uh, uh some thread of possibility here. The other thing I was gonna say is that maybe it's harder for you to to believe because you haven't fallen in love, Albert. Maybe that's true. Maybe we're so alone that we'll never truly understand what it is to love somebody who carries it's, our seed. Let me put it this way. It's hard for me to believe that he could fall in love with 12 people in six months when I haven't fallen in love with one person in 39 years. Yeah, man, these are some pretty pictures. <laughs> Oh, hang on. What would I do without my baby? (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh, man. Without my love, I'd probably go crazy. (laughs) Pretty brutal, man. We had Between the Gutters. We don't sing the blues when we're down. We sing Ja Rule. What would Ja say? What would Ja say? Where is Ja? Where's Ja? <laughs> Painful, man. I, I don't yeah. even know what we're talking about anymore. <laughs> I just need a cold, cold dunk in the shower to make myself <laughs> feel something, anything. <laughs> <laughs> Would you be willing to sacrifice the entire <laughs> universe if it meant that you could find one person to love, Albert? Absolutely. <laughs> In a heartbeat. <laughs> the needs of the me outweigh the needs of the any. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, guys. It's new merch coming out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So we've gone over all of the most of the Mark uh, Mark Grayson Viltrumite stuff uh, in in this year's stories. Mm-hmm. Were there any other big story developments or or plot lines that they explored this year, Drew? The final big story that we got to talk about is the arc with Robot and Monster Girl. Because that storyline has been building up in the background for a long time now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we finally got, uh, I guess, the the buildup has finally reached its peak. You know, like, not only did they get, I mean, they, they didn't just get a single issue. Like, there was an entire story arc devoted to, yeah. to those two characters. And 
you know, uh, and in terms of time, like, they didn't just get, like, the same amount of actual time because they were in a pocket dimension. So they ended up spending hundreds of years together, you know? 700 years, man. It's pretty yeah. hard to fathom. Yeah. That was... So, yeah, so let's just break it down. What what exactly happens in that... Uh in that story arc, you know, let's so, not, let's not yeah. tiptoe around it. Yeah. So this follows up something that happened. I don't remember how many issues ago, but at one point the, the Flaxons who are these recurring villains that have popped up since very early single digit issues of invincible. Yeah. So they, they constantly just reappear every so often to they're kind of a jobber. Well, yeah, they're jobbers. They, yeah. they show up, there's they someone for the heroes to beat up. Yeah, yeah. It's someone they, they show up and they get beat up within the span of a couple pages at the most. And then the last time we saw them when they came to try and invade Earth yet again, when they were trying to escape, Robot and Monster Girl jumped through the portal with them to to see if they could, you know, take them down at the source. And it turns out that because time moves differently in their dimension. Uh, Monster Girl and and Robot aged extremely slowly over a period of 700 years. Mm -hmm. It kind of looks like they aged, what, maybe like 12 years or something? I believe that's what they said, yeah. Yeah, even though they they lived 700 years in that pocket dimension, and while they were there, they basically spent all that time uh, building up an army of other slaves and and rebels to take down the the hostile flaxen rulers that yeah. were constantly trying to invade earth yeah and not only did they take down those those uh rulers but robot ended up taking over society essentially taking power over society in an, in an effort to rebuild the people into some something that was more um peaceful yeah, yeah, exactly. He's, he was yeah. trying to excise all of the warlike elements and, and the hateful elements of their society through using his political influence and yeah. super genius powers. It's interesting because the way that they portray it was when Robot and Monster Girl first get there, they, they're overwhelmed and they become prisoners and they're there as prisoners for like a long period of time. But then what ends up happening is they escape. And part of their plan is that they realize that they're going to live substantially longer than any of these beings. So they have the power of time on their side. So they roll out this plan where basically as slaves, they're going to marshal all of their resources over hundreds of over like years and years eventually building it up to a point where they can have an army at their disposal and they just overthrow them from within you know it's like you know three-dimensional chess on a pretty epic scale if you think about it they're playing the long game (laughs) really long long exceptionally long game you know yeah it, yeah. It's kind of wild to think about living 700 years 
it, it's hard to believe that anybody could stay sane after that being alive that long. Yeah. Like, after a certain point, how do you even remember stuff? Yeah. Like, like I, I can't even remember what I ate for lunch last week, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and to live 700 years, it's it's like there's so many things that will happen to you. How, are you really going to remember? Is there really anything that's going to be significant enough that you'll remember 300 years later? Yeah. I don't know, man. That's uh, It's a heavy thought, right? Like, how do you even savor things anymore at that point, right? Because yeah. you've essentially lived a full life and you've done everything. Like, how are you not even just bored, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> it's true, yeah. man. It's true. Yeah. So Monster Girl and, and Robot have always been two of my favorite characters. And I've, uh, like, ever ever since they were introduced i've been invested and and interested in their subplot so to to see them get this much burn to see them be the center of attention it i felt pretty gratified man like this was this is definitely one of the highlights of the entire series for me so far yeah like everything about it was really well done uh earlier uh at the beginning of the show i mentioned that Corey Walker and Ryan Otley combined on this story. So we would have Corey Walker draw all the stories that took place or draw all the scenes that took place in the Flaxen dimension. And Otley would draw the scenes that took place in the, in the prime dimension. And I, I thought that the, the different art styles were really effective because they both have similar enough styles where it's not jarring, but they're mm-hmm. also distinct enough where you can see the difference. Corey Walker's art in his scenes, I thought, were were exceptional. Like compared to to the, his art from like very early on in Invincible, I thought that this was like head and shoulders advanced. You know, like it, like he he leveled up so much by the time that this story came around years later and the the drama of it all just this idea of of the two of them of of a monster girl and robot living for so long ingraining themselves in this alien society and at at some point you know admitting their love for one another but because their lives their lives lifespans are so long it's plenty of time to make mistakes as well. Yeah. And, and I thought that was, that was the, the, I guess the, the tragic part of the story, you it's know, because they're, they're out there only to screw it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. they're, they're doing so much good. They have the best intentions, but sometimes one mistake basically is what it is. And, and it's, uh it's something that ends up coming back to, to haunt them in the present day prime universe storyline yeah. because you see this new Flaxen invasion attack Earth and this time they're far more successful than any other time they've invaded. Yeah. And in all of the other issues, whenever they've come to Earth, they get their butts kicked in a couple of pages. And now they're attacking London. They pretty much decimate 
most of the city, mess it up pretty bad, and it takes pretty much every hero at Cecil's disposal to try and slow them down. Yeah. And it's it's uh what is it like f- at least four or five issues uh issues long the battle is. So it 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 gives you a greater sense of their threat level. And then when we're introduced to the leader of the invasion force, we get this we get this uh, shocking cliffhanger at the end of that issue where we learn that this leader is the son of Monster Girl. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a pretty huge revelation. Of the details of it, it's pretty intertwined in the in the in the falling in the fallout of the relationship between robot and monster girl mm-hmm. um one of the details that we learned is while they were in this alternate it's on an alternate dimension right yeah i guess we could call it an alternate dimension okay so while they were in this alternate dimension and they had lived all these years together um like you mentioned they 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 basically achieved their goal of like becoming the leaders of this society but robot ends up being so focused on running this society that mm-hmm. he doesn't see the signs that are there he doesn't see that um you know monster girl isn't able to acclimate nearly as well to her surroundings because she's she's not as she she admits that she's not uh, it's hard for her to have, learn the language. Exactly. She doesn't have the talents to learn the language. Uh, she doesn't have the skills to learn the language. Like, even physiologically speaking, she admits that there are sounds that she can't even make mm-hmm. um, to try to speak their language. So she's pretty isolated there, even though she's surrounded by this, all these beings. So the only person that she can talk to is a robot. And for him to only be focused on the sole objective of running this empire um you know it it drives a wedge between them and over time as she learns about the plans that he's making uh she eventually strikes out on her own because her compassion ultimately so basically what happens is robot deposes the royal family and keeps them isolated on these reservations uh these mining reservations where they can't ever leave mm-hmm. and his entire plan is since the the royal family are are warlike and they're responsible for uh for making their society the way it is for making their society warlike and for making it so that their society is constantly going out into alternate dimensions to enslave other species uh what he wants to do is just to keep them isolated there forever you know yeah uh and when monster girl finds this out she she basically says how long are we going to keep them like this it's been hundreds of years for them eventually we have to like reintegrate them back into society and she's she's too compassionate or or not too compassionate she's she's more compassionate than robot is he's more of the pragmatist and and she 
she's like the humanitarian. She's she's out there trying to work with the people and and help them. And she just yeah she she I think it's it's interesting to see because I don't think up to this story I don't think it was really apparent that she had a big heart like that. Yeah. But to see that you know this is who she is and and when when she's there for you know hundreds of years her her personality develops in that manner yeah there, yeah there's there's definitely something fascinating about that yeah uh, i'd even go so far as to say that when we first meet monster girl she's portrayed as pretty vapid you know um, she she was pretty bitter about being a little kid yeah and, and, you know getting younger and younger yeah certainly so that was kind of the the extent to which we found or the extent to we, which we were like exposed to her character and her personality mm-hmm. and seeing that she is definitely far more compassionate than we were aware that was definitely an interesting uh uh side to her that we hadn't seen before you know yeah yeah and i think yeah. that's one of the things that i really enjoy about this whole run of this whole series uh and yeah just the whole the whole series of invincible but this particular story specifically yeah. it's seeing how kirkman and Otley and Walker are able to create these well-rounded and developed characters, and they're they're just fascinating in and of themselves. But to see them interact with each other is even more interesting because yeah. the I feel like the relationship between Robot and Monster Girl is it's it's just really well written, man. Like it's 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 got a lot of complexity to it. Like yeah. there's a sense of uneasiness because they've they've been together for so long. Even though obviously we don't read 700 years worth of comics detailing all of their stories and, and you know the things that they experience, but all the things that we do see in the text just give us enough to understand the arc of their relationship. Like yeah. the, we see we see what happens from the moment that they're captured in the other dimension, and then like as they slowly uh, build up their forces and develop a plan to to change the society there and then uh you know they they officially become lovers and it's not just uh you know this tension where they they kind of like each other but they're kids so nothing can really happen they they you know they grow up with each yeah. other and and they're able to talk about uh adult feelings and and things and and as they progress even more down the timeline as they get uh, as they make progress in in changing the alien society then you you start seeing the really fascinating things where one person namely robot his, the the direction that he's heading kind of veers off a bit or I guess I wouldn't even say he's the one who veers off. In a way, you could say that Eve is the one who veers off a bit, right? Like, she's the one who decides that he's being a little too focused on, uh, I guess, discipline or or revenge, in a sense, or just being, like, that lawful force of order. order. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He's he's imposing his order 
onto his new empire. <laughs> yeah. Essentially. But she's the one who who's still thinking about the individual people who have to live in that empire. So she goes out and she does basically what's like humanitarian work with the people. And then with the fact that she's dealing with these people that were the losers in the war, basically the the family of the of the Flaxen rulers. The royal that, family. Yeah. The royal family. Like we learned it's interesting to learn that over time they they were the ones who learned English so they yeah. could actually speak with her. So now she's yeah. got people that she can talk to apart yeah. from robot. Yeah. And it's it's in that isolated situation where again where in this world that she had no one to talk to and because robot isolated himself from her through his work she gravitated towards the only other people that were available to her which were the the royal family and Mm -hmm. she eventually one she eventually sides with them when they rise up against a robot and two uh in addition to that she she ends up cheating on robot with one of them uh you know and uh she and she basically takes on her monster form and copulates with one of them and and uh you know what what we what we realize in the present day is that the leader of the invasion force is the 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 love child of monster girl and uh one of the members of the royal family you know yeah he's yeah. he's they um when when they rose up and robot defeated them um the twins that were the in charge of the royal family went into hiding and one of them was with child and that child was um monster you know, girls monster girls exactly yeah yeah it's a it's a pretty heart-wrenching kind of story man there's there's something about it that it it just feels more epic than a lot of the other stories that that we've read in in the series and i, th- I think the the dual art styles really give you that sense of of seeing like i don't know like a some kind of morality fable unfold in the past Mm. It, it it gives it not quite a storybook feel but there there's something i don't know the way that cory walker drew those scenes and and the way that even the the color the the color uh, looks different you know it's got a different tone in his scenes to indicate the the flashback but it there's something about the art that just feels melancholic whereas mm. the the modern day stuff feels a lot more direct and immediate and mm. you know obviously action oriented because it's a battle scene but the the stuff all the stuff that's set in the alien planet is is it's just so fascinating to to read and look at because it, there's so, there's something about it that gives it that gives you as the reader this sense of of looking into this this other world almost yeah so I, I really, really appreciate the craft that, that went into those scenes. Yeah. It, yeah, it was, it was really well done. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's essentially a mini epic tragedy mm-hmm. unfolding 
within this uh, superhero story, right? Yeah. 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 And yeah, and I think that's right. I think that's what I like about it because it is a tragedy. Yeah. And the way that it plays out, it's it's pretty clever, you know, that he he builds this giant story out of these supporting cast characters and to give them like so much uh, like you you know uh like you were saying like when when Kirkman introduced these two characters early on um in the series they started out as kind of throwaway characters as well but then over time um their story has just been a constant drip of just information, you know, mm-hmm. as as he just revealed more and more, and he toyed with us a little bit because, yeah. um, you know, when we first met Monster Girl and and Robot, there was again there was this hint of something uh, questionable or sinister going on because Robot was conducting experiments, you know, uh, secret mm-hmm. experiments. But as time progressed, and again, just another example of Kirkman subverting our expectations, instead of a robot being, uh, you know, some sort of evil perpetrator, he genuinely was just trying to help her cure her uh, ailment, you know, cure her affliction, you know? Yeah. And, like, it wasn't, there wasn't any secret plot. He was just trying to help her. And from there it bloomed into this love story between these two characters and and yeah it's like you said for us to finally get the conclusion of that story in these uh like six issues that's a that's a pretty big way to go out with a bang you know yeah totally it it, it truly is an epic man it's spanning centuries and dimensions bloodshed it's, everywhere it, ruined yeah. lives it's it has empires yeah it has empires it has the rise and fall of empires you have uh you know massive armies uh uh far off lands it's 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 a pretty big story you know when you think about it yeah even the very last page of of the of issue 90 90 what is it, 96? The, the 96. last issue, yeah, where th- those last three pages, right, end, ends with the son, uh, with Monster Girl's son in captivity, and then you have a scene uh, with Monster Girl and Rex having a conversation, and and basically they, they reconcile. He, he asks for forgiveness and tells her, or tells her that he forgives her for, for what she did, and uh, you know, they get back together, they reconcile, and then yeah, and then you, the very last page, it you see another, one more flashback to their time in the Flaxen dimension, and it's a it's a scene that we'd already seen in a previous flashback, except this time, uh, the we text see it from robots perspective. Yeah, we see it from robots perspective, and and we see the text that he spoke to his his uh Flaxen lieutenant in the in the alien language, except we get it translated so that we can understand and read it. And we learned that he actually knew that she had fathered this child with the, with the Flaxen uh, rebel leader. And 
he sends out an order to exterminate their entire bloodline and he includes an order to execute like all of them including the ch- the not just the men but the women and the children too <laughs> including the the unborn baby inside yeah. the woman that procreated with monster girl yeah you know and and that's just how it ends it it, it just it leaves you with this it, it could have ended on the previous page you know it could have left you with this note of, of happiness and, and optimism. But yeah. for some for whatever reason, man, they, they chose to go back and show a scene that it's it's like the kind of like the darkest moment in their entire relationship. You know, like he, yeah. robot basically says, execute her unborn baby. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, dude, what well, a note to end on. It, it's so offbeat. I, I love stuff like that, man. Like stuff like that, that's some that's some good writing, man. It, it doesn't end on on this cliched note of, you know, it's a happy ending and, you know, everybody lived happily ever after or whatever. They can ride off into the sunset. Yeah. No, Kirkman doesn't do that. He gives us this ending that makes us feel uneasy after, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the resolution has happened. Well, the other thing that I wanted to mention about that last panel is that this whole time that we're seeing their story unravel before us, like there's there's an understanding as the reader that it's like you were saying where monster girl was the one who veered off path so her actions lead to the flaxens rising up again uh, the flaxen royal family rising up again mm-hmm. and eventually uh because she sired a child that was uh with one of the flaxen royal family that had basically some of her superpowers you know or yeah. or like because of that they were able to reestablish themselves as the, as the dominant force so the whole time that we're reading this the presumption is that everything that happened here happened because you know the decisions that she made but then mm-hmm. the thing that we see that changes all that is like you said this very last page with the revelation that you know, the royal family did go off on their own and, you know, they went off to hide. They were basically at their weakest point. But there's almost this hint of maybe this was Robot's fault on yeah. some level because yeah. he, because the decision to wipe out all of the men, women, and children in their family, by doing that, he he ingrained a a sense a of everlasting enmity and hate yeah exactly like in, that, in that the hearts of the royal family been the motivating factor for them to to rise, rise up. up yeah exactly like they could have very well have just went and fled and continued to like we we don't know that because that's not what happened we don't have that they d- yeah they didn't the, get that chance exactly they were they were pursued yeah. To the point of death and execution. Exactly, and persecuted. So in, in a way, you could even make an argument that they they just naturally tried to defend themselves with whatever way they could. Yeah, yeah. So it yeah it it absolutely adds this extra layer of yeah because uh, the whole time that you're reading yeah the whole time that you're reading it you get this sense that robot is the wronged like in spite of how things turned out in spite of how he executed his his plans like there was a sense that he was the one who was wrong because he was cheated on 
And because, you know, when there was even a line in the story where it talks about how when they rose up and they had a second chance at power, they were proven to be the tyrants that people knew them to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so we as a reader got the impression that Robot was actually the wronged party this whole time. He was he was the just he he was in the right this whole time. But then by seeing this last scene, again, it's this realization for us that maybe just maybe his actions were the things that uh mm-hmm. caused everything to go off the rails after all. He's not yeah. nearly the hero that we thought that he was. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that that just adds the to the levels of the layers of depth to the whole story. Like it, it it gives us that last page gives us a new way to to reframe or recontextualize everything that we had read up to this point. Yeah. And yeah. and I think knowing knowing that that's how the story ends if if you reread the story now like with that knowledge, it kind of gives you like a new perspective on on everything that's happened like yeah. it, it helps you understand like it just gives you that additional context and you you understand that yeah like you were saying robot he might have been the one that was cheated on but monster girl didn't try to kill an unborn baby you know yeah, yeah. she didn't she didn't order uh an entire family line to be exterminated yeah so it's like robot was the one who did that so how much of a hero re- is he really yeah <laughs> you know, yeah like, yeah like up, yeah you know like up to this point man he he's the one that that uh does the logical thing he's got his super intellect but him learning that monster girl had this baby with the alien it maybe there's something about that realization that just drove him to make the most emotional there was something choice petty about it life. yeah yeah absolutely you know? yeah yeah there there's something yeah just extremely unsettling about it yeah so the fact that that's how they ended the story with that with that scene mm, that that is some excellent writing right there man that's it's certain yeah like, yeah I know how we mentioned that this was kind of the the high point of their uh, of their relationship of Monster Girl and Robot's relationship, but it's certainly not over. It is yeah. certainly not over. Yeah, I liked it a lot, man. That that might be my it might be my favorite story of all the story arcs we've read in Invincible so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely at least extremely high up there. Maybe my number one favorite story so far. Yeah, it's good. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts or anything else that you'd want to say about these issues? Um, no, I, I'm I'm pretty satisfied with what we've had to say, and uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm. I, I highly recommend it. I, I I hope that the any of our listeners that uh, have listened to this episode, I, I I hope that you're following along with us. Um, you know, going along with us on this journey. But you know, if you are, um, hit us up on our social. Uh, you know, you can email us at 
between the gutters podcast at gmail.com or you can dm us on instagram at between the gutters and uh we'd love to hear your thoughts on the comic you know um totally you know, totally maybe it's something we can mention mention uh on another episode yeah and and even if you listen to this episode years down the line you know maybe maybe there's somebody out there who's who's uh reading invincible you know at some point in the future you know beyond 2021 and then goes on and looks goes online and looks for a podcast about invincible and and somehow you come across this and it's you know years down the line hey if if albert and i are still alive still you can hit (laughs) us up and we'll talk about invincible with you yeah yeah we would love to oh yeah one more thing that uh jack (laughs) what'd you say i said and that's a fact jack <laughs> what were you gonna I, don't, say? I don't know if anybody will get that reference but one one more thing that uh i was gonna say because i was just flipping through the comic right now when mark is recovering or recuperating from his his busted arm mm-hmm. the cast that he's wearing it's this kind of like this uh cyborg arm and it, it reminded me of the Spider-Man story by Eric Larson that we talked about a couple months ago. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> Cyborg arm. That, I bet I bet you that's a reference to that Eric Larson story, man. Revenge of the Sinister Six. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Any if that was. Yeah. I mean, I would more like it, but I, I, I could see that for sure. Yeah. All right, we'll have to see uh, next month what Dinosaurus is up to. But as for uh, next week, I think our next episode, assuming things go according to plan, we'll, we'll probably we'll probably find some Shang-Chi comics to talk about before the movie comes out. How's that sound? Yep. Yep, I, I want to get into the Shang-Chi. All right, everybody. This is Between the Gutters, signing off. Peace out, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Albert, yo. If you would were you... a cosmic Hitler, would you okay. willingly <laughs> conduct the genocide of an entire race in order to lead your people into a utopia? Uh, I mean. If I was a cosmic Hitler, I would kind of have to, wouldn't I? I mean, just kind of goes with the territory, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's no cosmic Hitler that's a baker or an accountant. <laughs> then he wouldn't think, be a cosmic Hitler. Do you think a cosmic Hitler would be a painter? Yeah, sure. Failed painter. He'd have to be a, a cosmic Hitler would have to be a failed cosmic painter. Right? I mean, it just kind of comes with the territory.
That's that's true, man. That is true. <laughs> Do you think if Alan the alien had succeeded in using the scourge on humanity, do you think he would have been a cosmic Hitler? Uh, no, I don't think he had the fortitude. He, he might've been, (laughs) I was going to say he might've been like a a good Jar Jar Binks. (laughs) Good Jar Jar Binks. Hey, people forget Jar Jar Binks was responsible for the fall of the uh, the Republic. Republic? Yeah. yeah, that's true. He he cast the vote of no confidence, right? Yeah. So, so people were right to hate him. So wait, so if if Alan had wiped out humanity to save the the rest of the universe from the Viltrumites, that would just make him a Jar Jar Binks. Cause he 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 had good intentions, but what he ended up doing had catastrophic results. As a res, yeah, yeah. So you know, intentions aside, they probably weren't the best thing. Right, right. That's that's how I worked that out in my brain. In so, my so, brain, so Alan, so Alan would not be a cosmic Hitler. No, no, he was a. Why you would have considered him a cosmic Hitler? Yeah, if he wiped out an entire species of people, you know, like an entire planet. Hmm. That's a. But he's not a madman or anything, right? No, he's not a madman. But, uh, well, I guess. Would it? Could anyone who could find the gumption within himself to exterminate an entire race of people, could that person not be a madman? Like, wouldn't you have to be a madman in order to do that? Uh... <sighs> yeah, that's a that's a tough question. I mean, like, I would. Again, like that goes back to our philosophical debate, but if he if he's just a a guy who's in a tough position of power who has to make a tough decision which just happens to include wiping out a species I mean, you know, even though the results are the same one could one could argue that uh, there's a level of justification that's not acceptable, but there's there's a level of justification that's present that logically makes it make sense. So the needs of the many do outweigh the needs of the few. Yeah, I guess. I mean, uh, in yeah, yeah. Uh, theoretically, that's I mean, how did Star Trek solve it? Isn't that what they ultimately uh uh what's it called what they ultimately decided in Star Trek that the needs of the many do outweigh the needs of the few? 
Yeah, but that was that was just because Spock sacrificed himself. Yeah. That definitely wouldn't have been how it would have happened if I had been in Spock's shoes. Right, because the needs of the me out we outweigh the needs of out the we. any. <laughs> <laughs> I would have jumped into an escape pod and just shot myself towards Earth, and I would have been like, see ya. Well, if you're a Spock, wouldn't you rather go to the Vulcan home planet? Sure. <laughs> Anywhere but here. <laughs> I like your philosophy, man. 